Hello and welcome to True Alignment. I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. How are you doing today, Edgar? Pretty well. We're coming to you live from the Student Center at Regis University. Yeah, new place today. New place, new surroundings, uh, some faces out there. Uh, maybe we'll get some good questions and yeah. some good interaction here today. Mired yeah. in a lot of chords. Yeah. And our True Alignment podcast, it's all about alignment uh, in business, uh, in life, all things alignment as being the great predictor of success. Yes. So speaking of success, we want to welcome our guest today, uh, Mr. Ruben Martinez. I'm going to share a little bit of our origin story, Ruben, um, and then get into a little bit of your background and we'll invite you into this alignment conversation. I, I gave Ruben the, the two-minute uh, nickel tour of the alignment framework right before we got on the air, so... All right. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm very glad excited to, to be here. It's worth a dime now. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Went from nickel to a dime. Good. So, um, actually, I don't remember how we met Ruben, but we got introduced. Um, and the wonderful thing about Ruben, the wonderful thing about Regis University is the people stay connected to other people and they have a genuine interest in people. This is how Edgar and I met. And I should point out that. Edgar has graduated twice from Regis University. He's a double Regis alum. And Ruben is also, right? You were here, you played soccer for Regis back in the day. Um, still connected to that kind of community of folks. We can talk about the, what's the event you all call? The prom. The prom. Yep. Prom. Yeah, we could talk about that a little bit. Um, but then came back to get your MBA. And uh, because of that connection, Ruben and I got introduced I think when the university was chasing you for donations and- um, Sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> they're good at that. Yep. They're good at that. And then um, Ruben actually came in to co-teach entrepreneurial innovation with me um, in the graduate programs. Right. Where we get people to try and start a business in eight weeks. And, and uh, also working with me in the MBA to start an entrepreneurship specialization so we can teach entrepreneurship how it actually happens as opposed to the television fairy tale. Right. Um, but uh, Ruben, uh, you were chased because you're the co-founder of Glamping Hub and now the founder of the American Glamping Association. And um, explain for the audience a little bit what uh, Glamping Hub is and how that grew into the American Glamping Association. Yeah, no, thanks for again having me. And now that I know that Edgar has two degrees too, I'm gonna have to go for the third one to make sure that I can beat you out and I, I have to go for number three. I'm a little bit old for that. <laughs> Never. Uh, but no, I, I think, Ken, that's a, it's a great point that the community is a really big part of what um, you know, Regis has been, is, and, and so it's just great to see all the great things that you guys are doing, including this, this podcast. So thanks again for having me on. Um, yeah, so I am a, a double Regis alum and did my uh, MBA in international business. And started a company called Glamping Hub, which is like a Airbnb, but for only unique outdoor accommodations. Uh, really at that time, nobody was representing the outdoor space and these types of unique accommodations like tree houses and airstreams and safari tents. And so we saw a gap in the market and just ran at it as, as quickly as we could. And, and then within that as well, started the association for the space because it's a bit still is and wild, wild west in many different ways. Every county is looking at these developments completely different. So we're that support system, tools, resources, consulting. Um, there's a show that we do here in Colorado every year um, where we have a few football fields full of these glamping structures that go up. So um, I have the um, 
privilege of being able to talk glamping all day, every day, and I joke <laughs> that I'm scared to death the day I have to get a real job. So, um, yeah, that's, well, that's and, what it is. And, and share a little bit with the audience your story of uh, you and your friend. You decide to do this, but you're, you're gainfully employed. Yep. And you, and you decide to take a leap. Yep. And I especially want the conversation about uh, what that you have with your wife. Oh, yeah, that's always comfortable. Um, <laughs> so this is how – so I started with a uh, – a good buddy of mine, and, and this was this type of travel is how we like to travel: experiential-based travel, something different, something unique, something off the beaten track. And we read, we just saw that nobody's really doing anything like this, so we decided to just start a very simple website and see if it got traction. And then um, one day, uh, opened up the paper, it was the USA Today, and we were on the front page of the USA Today uh, money section, and we had no employees. Um, no funding, no money, anything like that, and, and we were right there. So at that point in time, we realized that we had some something. We just didn't know exactly what it was. And so, you know, you fast forward a little bit, we get a little bit more traction, and we just knew that if we were going to do this, we'd have to we'd have to do it now. It was really a timing um, uh, a timing conversation. And so I was employed at the time and had a very good job, and decided that, like any other reasonable person, since we um, had never really built websites before that we should just go out there and do that, um, especially in marketplace. And yeah, had that conversation with my very loving wife and said, I'm gonna quit my job and go do this thing. And she said, how much does it pay? And I said, you know, don't worry about that. Um, we're gonna, it's gonna be great. Uh, Cause it paid nothing. And just took that leap of faith and that risk and, and hadn't really, uh, I guess I have looked back a few different times, but um, you know, it was one of those where we just, the timing was the right time and sometimes you know people do ask me now how do you know when there is the right time and you just you don't you just you really got to make an educated guess and trust that you're making the right decision and so at that point in time I don't know if I knew if I was making the right decision or not but um, I'm glad that I did I'm so I, did. I have a curiosity about the USA Today article um, so it just shows up you have no idea that it's going to be there right and what did they say about you? What did they find intriguing? What was their, uh, what were the descriptive that they used? Yeah, it was interesting because a lot of it was centered around, you, know, you have a company for the first time representing this type of travel. And they did write about things that they didn't like about what we were doing, you know, maybe certain market um, segments that we should have been in and, and whatnot, but what they, we're really writing about was here's the emergence of a new type of travel that we haven't really seen before and there's a certain generation that seems to be gravitating towards it right because when you think about it I mean glamping doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense you're gonna spend $500 a night to go spend um, spend the night in, in a tent right it, it, on paper you're like there's more comfortable maybe places to stay but it's all about where you are you're next to a national park you, you can go out your front door and go hiking or biking or fly fishing. So they were noticing what the data was telling them, there's a pivot, right? People maybe don't want to go to Disneyland as much as anymore, and well, people still it will. Almost, <laughs> it, almost sound, it almost sounds like they were doing some of the marketing research for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, th I think it was still new at that point in time of this is on the verge of something big. I don't think anybody knows what it is. But it's big, and here's a company that seemed to be the first to yeah. really represent it. Well, the only the only competitors in the space are the price lines and the travelocities and the Expedia travel, right? Which are just, you know, um, 
all the precursors of hotels.com and you know catering to what people were doing yeah but you really and i think edgar what i hear you asking is this different emotional kind of need right that kind of traveler is looking you, you called it experience experiential based travel yeah. experiential based travel you know that idea that the that a human being is looking for something. And I, I think I've shared this with you before. I have a, a former colleague of mine who was a, a pure academic and he was trying to write an all different, uh, all brand new kind of biology book. And he had done this research that the American population especially spends more money on national park zoos and aquariums in a given year than any major sporting event combined. I believe that. And, and, you know, that idea that we desire, we desire to be in touch with something beyond our person, mm -hmm. um, you kind of captured that human emotion. Yeah, and I, 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 as I think about it, your comment about you know, it, it being an experience, and then when we think about experiences, we think so often about, you know, here's what things look like, and here's, here's what the adventure is. Without really looking deeply enough at what the emotional aspect of it is, every experience that we have evokes an emotion, mm -hmm. and that emotion is what comes through then and creates a value for someone. Right. Right. So my question to you then is, uh, in terms of alignment, is where is that uh, that alignment or that thread to you yep. and who you are? Good question. You know, I think at that point in time, even specifically as we were trying to get this up and running and find our first round of funding the alignment was i knew at that point in time um i did not want to go into a larger office job and just show up i was i knew at that point in time my alignment with this type of experience was i wanted to create i like being able to knock down walls i like being able to go down and, and get pointed in a direction and not have a trail and, and kind of forge that that trail that alignment to me was clear at the beginning what this is how I want to spend my time. And maybe, you know, years down the road, that attitude would change. But the creation of, of these businesses, the alignment was very clear that this is kind of who I was as an individual. And that it didn't matter if it was glamping or a candy factory or coffee, that I would probably figure out a way to put myself in a situation where my alignment would be creating or starting something new or building from the ground up. Well, your, your wife must have been able to see that in some way. I mean, going back to the conversation, of, you know, is this, are you going to make money doing this? Or what's the deal <laughs> I'm not, here? I'm not sure. And, is that the convincing story? Is like, hey, you know, this is me, and therefore it's going to work because I'm being aligned and true to myself? Yeah, uh, I think there's a, maybe a, a stubbornness that, you know, well, she knew. Now we're going to go back to that. <laughs> where, 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 did, where did she... Where, where, what was the moment of agreement? Do you remember what the conversation was when you found alignment with her? Yeah, I think it was a conversation of logic, as in, I'm going to give this thing a, a, a whirl, and uh -huh. if I can't show that it has merit, then, of course, you know, I'll turn back around and do something different. That, and I think that was a conversation that also I was telling myself, in a way of, I could always go back and maybe find another job. I cannot go back in time and recreate that experience, right? As soon as that moment was gone, it's gone. Like you can't go back in time and then say, great, let's start again. You know, if there's one thing that's very true in, in business and in life and everything that we do is that, you know, time is, once that, once that time is gone, you, don't, you never get it back. And so you either have to take that shot or you don't. And you, you know, live with the consequences, good or bad. 
So I want to tie some things together. And Ruben, tell me, tell me if I'm off base on this one. But you know, when you and I teach uh, the entrepreneurial innovation class, we always ask people what they think an entrepreneur is, and typically the answer is a blind risk taker, <laughs> right? Um, and that's not that's not you. I mean, part of it is a, a why not, coupled with a I kind of enjoy the build part, coupled with a, a tenacity that your outward calm demeanor doesn't showcase. Mm -hmm. I mean, people have to think know you for a long time to know kind of um, if I run in, if I hit a brick wall, I'm going to come run into it again tomorrow and figure this out. Mm -hmm. And 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 you know that combination of a, of a why not uh, I like to build and that tenacity. Mm -hmm. Is that how, I mean, were you that kind of soccer player? I need to ask that question. Um, because the other things that I've seen you do are to bring people with you. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and for the audience, um, you know, Ruben was a very gracious hirer of interns and employees out of our programs at Regis um, when Glamping Hub was uh, kind of in its uh, adolescence. But you also helped me create the Modus Factory, our business accelerator. Mm -hmm. um, and, and get that beta test out the door. And, I, you know, I mean, I, this is the thing I love about working with Edgar, too, is he's got that why not gene. Um, like I said, when we started this podcast, we talked about it one day, and then we were doing it the next week, because sure. why not? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get better at it soon, Edgar. Yeah. 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 By the way, thanks for that, too, because... Uh, you know, my mother was just, uh, she was trying to figure out whether to name me Why Not or Edgar. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting how that landed. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting just uh, when I think about the idea about you know, the Why Not and the, and the moving, you know, running up against a brick wall again or figuring yeah. out what to do about the wall and, and problem solving. Um, so what, what do you see being the key challenge that you overcame uh, in the in your yeah i think that's a success story i think that's a good question and, and can kind of going off of the points that you made earlier i think for just a lot of what we are taught in life um is that there's a version of success and it looks like this and a lot of that version of success doesn't always bring along this not only just an okay but a not even just a tolerance but an encouraging encouragement of failure right as soon as you make a mistake mm, you know you're not successful you try this didn't work so you should quit and there wasn't really you know in, in kind of pre when I was in high school and maybe even kind of through college there was always and this is why it's great that what you guys are doing everything with the innovation challenge everything that happens here um, in the business school is putting people in a, in a familiar position where it's okay and supporting them to fail because that wasn't always the case you know back in my day back in the 1800s and so that was hard you know this like you would do something and you wouldn't quite get to the result that you wanted and then you had to take a step back and then run through that wall again or take a step back and run through that wall again or, or adjust and pivot and there wasn't always you know, the world doesn't always support you in that way to say, that's fine. That's okay. You know, do it a little bit better. Do it a little bit better. You know, and, and I think somebody once explained to me that to be into your question about the definition of an entrepreneur is that you have to just be okay 
and that you're just going to get beat up, right? You're just going to get beat up one way or the other, and you almost encourage that because then that is actually equal and equivalent to, to learning, right? And, and learning is sometimes defined in a certain way. It's not necessarily failure, and that was a hard thing for me to... I always had this picture perfect, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to execute it, and it's going to go well. But then at the end of the day, when that doesn't happen, there's not really a lot of people around you say, hey, you have to be the, you have to be the one that kind of picks yourself up. You have to be the one that has to be okay with that. You have to be the one that pushes you through that. And that's a hard thing, I think, for anybody to learn. And then also in a very volatile business environment, you know, because there's always safe options. There's always something easier. There's always something that you can say, ah, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to go ahead and do this because it's safe, right? And you always have that looming and you've got to figure out kind of who you are and say, here's the direction that I want to head. And that's of, hard. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because yeah, the idea that, well, if this doesn't work out, I can always go back to a job, mm-hmm. another job. I think a lot of what we see happening uh, in the workforce today in business is that a lot of people are trying to find their path to their own alignment. We like to not think of it as the great resignation. We think of it as the great alignment that people are seeking and in a way really looking for uh, an experience that's more truly aligned to who they are for greater levels of joy, contentment, satisfaction. And at the same time, I would imagine that a lot of people today are looking at it through the lens of, I'm going to try this knowing that I can always go back to some security, some safety somewhere. So uh, what I've got is another question for you about your own experience then. Uh, when, and I would imagine, because for me at least natural consequence and for people I work with and in the coaching work that Ken and I do, um, there's always those glimmers or those <laughs> slivers of self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Self-doubt. So when, we see it, when self-doubt shows up for you, what, is it, what does it look like? Um, I guess that's a two-part question. What does it look like? And what's your, your own personal process of working through it? Yeah, good question. You know, I think self-doubt can show its face in, in many different ways. And I'll kind of answer the second part first because for me, it's easy to just get overwhelmed, right? So the self-doubt comes in. You've got this thing that you have to create that's never been created. And it just feels like you're trying to you know, take a bite out of an elephant, right? And you're, you feel like you just you have to, you're boiling the ocean. It just things feel impossible in many different ways. So for me, my process has always been forget forget the big picture of it because you do need to have that vision but what can we do right now today and knock out a few quick check boxes right make it tangible make it real and that gives you a little bit more confidence right because there's always there's always going to be more to that you accomplish one thing and yeah there's gonna be 10 more things to do but a lot of times it just feels when you're doing something that especially has never been done before, there's no guidebook. So you can't just go back to chapter seven and say, all right, great. Here's chapter seven. Glad I reread that. When you're doing something that's never been done before, it's just, it's just taking one small bite at a time and then taking a step back. And then, you know, part of that process for me, it has been also asking other people who, you know, I think we've done a pretty good job, at least in, what I've done over the years of finding people who are a lot smarter than I am, which, you know, is not a very hard thing to do uh, and, and surrounding myself with people like that and, and being humble enough in some cases to, to learn from them and, and make sure that I'm asking the right questions because 
yeah, you're doing something that's never been done before. It's just unrealistic and easy to get overwhelmed if you're trying to accomplish everything. So it's just those little bites of one thing that made it real that gives you a little bit more confidence, one little bite. Um, and just being comfortable too, that self-doubt is just a nat. I mean, I almost would feel, I think what I've learned over the years too, is that if there wasn't the self-doubt, I'd be a little afraid, right? That you're just, yeah, hey, got it. I'm, no problem. I've got this whole thing taken care of. There's probably something wrong. I think that self-doubt is actually a good thing because it allows for those natural instincts to kick in a little bit and make sure that, that you're doing the right thing, you're asking the right questions. Not necessarily being cautious, but I think that self-doubt can be, can be good. Well, Edgar, why you start the leadership conversation around self? Yeah. Right, because that's, a, Ruben, such a fantastic insight into, into your own psyche, and I've heard you give the, you've come and given the pit stop talk to my, mm. to my folks. You know, in the work that Edgar and I do, oftentimes the, some of the businesses can only do that and they can never see the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. um, and it's always interesting to kind of manipulate and go back and forth with, the, with each individual on, we need you to see the whole and then see the person, mm -hmm. right? I mean, and, and that, that part can oscillate a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I'm gonna, I forgot to tell you that I bring a movie reference in here every week. Yep. So, um, ready for this one? Yes. <laughs> as ready as we're All right. Be. So, uh, I, you know, we have a running joke that my movie tastes are not that good. And so I'm going to borrow from the... Oh, you, you thought that was humor? <laughs> statement of fact. It's a, yeah. Um, I'm going to bring this from the Fast and Furious franchise. Oh. And so in the Hobbs and Shaw, um, Idris Elba plays a, a character that's been genetically modified. Yep. And so one of the things that he can do... Um, and you see this in the fight scenes as The Rock and uh, Jason Statham are trying to attack him, he can slow time down mm -hmm. and see and make predictions about what's going to go. And that just, you know, that's the image I had in, in my mind as you were talking about kind of uh, breaking it down into these little pieces, get to that next pit stop, do, accomplish this so you can you know you're moving in the right direction. You know, my question to you as a follow-up, and I want to get into talking about the American Glamping Association, I need to also mention that um, when I say Ruben brings the community with, with him, you know, you have a love for Rupe Jesuit High School and, um, you know, you, you and I have worked together over the years to set up some sponsorship and support for an innovation club over there at a Rupe mm -hmm. Jesuit so that we can bring some of these uh, mind constructs mm -hmm. um, to people as young as 14 years old who are, who are learning that failure is part of the process rather than a, than a destination. Um, uh, losing my train of thought a little bit here, Edgar. But so as you bring that community with you and you talk about that uh, process of recognition that you have for yourself, there's, there's the mindset. And, and, you know, this is, I know your third or fourth act in your life at some point is going to be to come and be an educator with us. Mm -hmm. But I think that's the most difficult thing we do in all of education is to educate a mindset. The content is a tool, we use the tool, whether it's for an entrepreneur or an accountant or a sociologist or a philosopher. Mm -hmm. The content is merely a tool for some self-discovery and um, to push something forward in the world. Yep. That's the hardest part, hardest part that we teach and part of that takes uh, time. Um, and part of it is about some recognition, and, and that's one of your strong points, Ruben, right? I mean, you recognize this, this space for Glamping Hub, but then as you're doing Glamping Hub and you're, 
Um, you know, you're seeking funding rounds and you're, um, you're operating in two different countries separated by an ocean. You are also paying attention to what's going on here at home mm -hmm. and, and the growth in the space and, and people who want to kind of take a um, corporate approach to getting into the clamping space. And, and that keen sense of your own self, but also the keen awareness that you have of the marketplace, you start to recognize, well, these folks need some support. There's that community part rising mm -hmm. up again. Um, how did that, tell us how the Glamping Association happened. Yeah, no, and I think that's a really interesting point because I think, you know, I think this has changed a lot, but definitely when I was going through college, there was maybe a um, connotation on the word entrepreneur as well. Like you were, you were born and you were built to be an entrepreneur, which I disagree with. I think that there are certain people who lean towards being an entrepreneur, but these tools and resources that you talk about, you know, you have the individual who maybe is going and building a company and ends up quitting, not because it's not them, they had a passion for it, but maybe they just ran out of a little bit of fuel, they ran out of the tools and resources, they ran out of the right type of mentorship, but they were built to be an entrepreneur. They, you don't have to put them in a bucket. And so I think that's a very important concept because everything that happens here at Regis, I also believe has an ability to shift that mindset of, of you're, not, you're not just built to be an entrepreneur. You can learn to be an entrepreneur. And I think that's yeah. a very important concept that gets you know, maybe brushed under the rug. Um, and so the association was built out of that mindset of, of people are busy, a lot of times people just don't know what they don't know. And all of a sudden when they have a network, a community, and this ability, just another champion in their corner to say, you know what, you can do this. It's amazing the energy and the, the mindset change when you see somebody who believes in your project even more than you do. And when that moment clicks, you're like, man, that person see, like, why can't I see it in a way? And so the association was built to provide a network and a, a, a resources, tools, so that we could be that champion and help people get to their finish line. No different than any other industry association. It just hadn't existed in this industry. And it's this ability where when that happens, everybody wins, right? When one other business gets up and running, that means there's more sales happen. That means more users get to go stay at this place. And because I would see this at the beginning throughout my years, somebody had a beautiful piece of land, it was 100 acres, and they just quit because they ran out of ideas or they just felt like, it's too much, it's too hard, I just, I would love to, but I, I can't, right? And I can't, I think it was the wrong phrase, it was more like I just didn't have the right network behind me to give me what I needed to get there. And so it was just unique in that nobody was doing that in the space, and it's not unique in how other industries have this, but it just didn't exist, and so, uh, yeah, that's been a, a fun thing that we do and something that I think is great for the industry as a whole. It's interesting because I listen to you, I come back to this idea of the mindset as a result of the experience and the shift in the experience. And now here's an association that provides you connectivity to a network, has resources. Um, if people have a fear um, and, you know, failure, failure is going to be embedded in some, some form of fear, whether it's that I'm doing this alone and so it's that aspect of, you know, it's a lonely world out there. And sometimes mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur, if someone's starting something, it feels rather lonely. Mm -hmm. Or I don't quite have the knowledge or skills or competencies to do it. Um, where, where does, or how does the, the association, what 
more specifically do you think it provides that allows people to be able to overcome a fear and over, overcome what it is that they would gen- generally give in to and say, yeah, yeah. I, I can't succeed at this. And at a deeper level, there's that, there's yeah. that fear. You know, we have a great board of advisors and we have a great kind of mentorship program. And I think to answer that question, a lot you see these great, you know, the glamping industry is no different than any other industry in that there's been some really big winners over the last five years. And I mean, massive organizations that have received, you know, lump sum, several hundred million dollars all at once. They're adding five properties a year, 100 units a pop. I mean, they're growing at a massive rate. And they see that, they say, well, I mean, that's great, but I can't, I can't do that. Look how great they're doing. I can't do that. And what we've done intentionally is pulled the curtain back a little bit and let people, and by the graciousness of those other founders, by having conversations, doing interviews, helping a mentor, giving advice, pull that curtain back and tell their story where they say, we almost went under four or five different times. I was trying to do something completely different and here's where I am right now. Look at all the mistakes I made. And that in itself, I think, helps alleviate, alleviate some of that fear and doubt to say, you're not some you know, demigod on this pedestal that um, is just you know, uh, the equivalent of, of whomever. You're just like me. You were going through the same process that I was going through and that type of um, shining a light on that, I think, gives everybody the, not only the encouragement, but this uh, alleviates the fear because you're not just some, you know, titan of industry, you're a human. And so I think one of the things that we at least try to do is humanize those people who've had a tremendous amount of success because they'd be the first ones to say, yeah, a lot of times I don't know what I'm doing, right? We're, but we're, we're doing it. And that's you know, half the difference is that either you do it or you don't do it. And people who pretend to know what they're doing all the time, you know, are usually not being truthful. So. I agree. Is there, I mean, that's so, so interesting, Ruben. Thanks. A great question, Edgar. And, and thanks for that response, Ruben. You know, I, I wonder if, um, you know, this human idea of comparison you know, and we do, we, we, we treat business leaders, we treat entrepreneurs. I mean, we often talk about the, you know, the big five uh, white male entrepreneurs that we're going to throw out there is like everybody should look like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, et cetera. Um, you know, and every once in a while, you're fortunate enough to have an Oprah Winfrey uh, in there. But people don't talk about, you know, her first four-way into the local news and, you know, all of the struggle that came before all, you know, before she was a billionaire media mogul. They don't talk about that, that real-life stuff. And for a leader, you know, we, it's a very similar. And, and, you know, one of the things we do this podcast for is to help people understand that we have an executive education program. In, in our signature class, uh, Edgar runs is uh, learning to lead. It's over the course of nine months. And, and a lot of these conversations are in, in the learning to lead experience. Yep. No, and I think that, I mean, just all of those different experiences are, are you know, as you look back at, what you thought it meant to be a leader versus what it actually is. It's so much less talking and doing and so much more listening and, and being a human and really just, you know, putting yourself in a situation where you can kind of elevate and delegate and elevate other people. And that's a hard, you know, ego check, I think, for a lot of people because you want to be seen as this front and center, the brand, all of this, but then eventually that all is going to fall to the wayside unless you've got some really tremendous people around you and you have to, you know, elevate 
and delegate those people or else eventually the you know, castle crumbles. So, so let, me, let me take this uh, into the future perspective a little bit. Um, so you, you think about where the industry is going and here's some invest. You, you see money capital coming into it. Uh, other people want to uh, sorry, uh, participate in the success. Mm-hmm. Um, looking forward uh, into the future, what, what would you identify as a, a or perhaps a couple of key challenges that you think um, your, your company yep. and your, your industry, your marketplace, uh, what, are the, what do you think those key challenges will be? That's a good question. Um, some of it, I've, I, once the pandemic hit, too, I, I just stopped predicting things altogether. But when the pandemic hit, the outdoor industry as a whole hit a huge boom. Right? You think about it, people did the quarantine thing for two months, and then all of a sudden they can, two or three months, and they can now start to get out. And the last thing that they wanted to do was go, and hotels weren't even open, but that would be the last type of experience that they wanted to do. You've been in a room, you've been in your house, great, let's go vacation and spend that time in a hotel room. Nobody wanted to do that. So the outdoor industry hit a big boom. You know, RVs, camping, the whole deal. And hotels, you were suffering big time. And they had raised hundreds upon hundreds of millions of dollars, and they couldn't put that back into it. Nobody was going to sanction a new hotel at that point in time. So they started to diversify their offerings and started to buy unique, you know, glamping operations, invest in the outdoors as a whole. So we've learned that our industry is actually, it's not recession proof, but it's recession resilient in that throughout kind of everything that happened with the pandemic, throughout you look at kind of this, the cyclical nature of the market, it's always done really well, right? And so I think the hurdle that we're gonna have moving forward is, you know, how do you maintain the growth that we've had over the last few years? We had a lot of investment in the space. There hasn't really been consolidation. Um, people are having a hard time developing because they don't really have the county codes don't match up across. There's no national building code for unique operations like there is for a hotel. So any type of industry that has a movement, that has significant change, now when things start to settle, there's risk, right? It was no longer, hey, we're in the middle of pandemic. People can't find a camping spot to save their lives. Um, we'll just continue. I think things are not you know, going in the opposite direction, but it's stabilizing. So I think one of the biggest hurdles is what does the stabilization mean to all of this investment that has come into the space because uh, things are gonna catch up and there's gonna be some, maintained to be some winners and there's gonna be some losers. And we're just not an old enough industry like the hotel space um, to know exactly what that means. And the second part to that is data. We, we haven't been going around for 150 years, so when you look at somebody who invests in an RV park, they can go back 100 years and say, you know, here's what campgrounds have done, you know, over the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. We don't have that yet. It's getting better, and so that's going to be a big challenge for the space is getting the data, and through the association, we're, we're trying to do that, um, but that's a big lift. Data is king, and data is king because it's really hard. It's really hard. You have to be very diligent. You have to have resources to have that data and so that that thinks going to be a big challenge moving forward is the glamping association uh, aga taking on collecting some of that data we've worked so koa does a really good job they do a glamping report um, and they're partners uh, of ours we've done some we've done some um, and it's okay right to be honest and it's always resource 
driven for, for what it needs, we will we'll continue to partner and we'll continue to accomplish some of that. But where we serve, you know, kind of going back to that mindset, people come to us because they bought 100 acres or 50 acres and, and they've quit their jobs and they put their retirement money into starting this and now they hit a wall with the county and the county won't let them build. So then we move our resources to say, all right, Bill and Stacy, we're going to get you to the finish line. We're going to write a letter. We're going to talk to the county. We're going to do what it takes to get you there. And that's our priority of serving those individuals because they don't have anybody else to really go to. And just like any organization, there's a long list of nice to have. And man, data is, is not only nice to have, it's going to be something that's really important. But at the end of the day, what we do best is that person-to-person interaction and saying, you know, you, you have literally nowhere else to go to. We want to help you in any way, shape, or form that we can, but let's do it. You know, and that's where our resources go to. Very much an in-service to model. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's a good, you know, it's one of those, when we set up the association, it wasn't one of those, I think this is where some of the good businesses get traction is that they, um, we weren't set up to say, here's how many things that we're going to be selling. Here's, we were just helping people, right? People needed us. We stepped in, we filled the, and we weren't even really putting much time and effort into it. And it was conversation. We need help with this. We need help with this. And that's when you know it's a viable business is that not only are you not really spending that much time on it, and you, and you could, but you just feel like there's a need that continues to get met, and it's natural. Right? We never feel like we have to force something. We never feel like we have to completely re, you know, rejig it and completely pivot. And now we got to sell this new thing. It's just how can we help you? Yeah. And, and that's good business. And I th- I, I, yeah, I was, I was just going to chime in on the the aspect of the problem solving. Yeah, we're, and this is I think also going all the way back to the front end of this conversation about being an entrepreneur is how do you solve problems? And so you, know, you, you look at it through what's the right problem to be solved. And here, the story that I'm hearing from you is the association provides the means and the capability to solve some problems. And in, in some ways, what people see as being almost impossible problems that they're taking on or you know, they're, they're hitting their wall. Well, and that mindset, too, this is what I love about the, the program here at Regis, too, and the Innovation Entrepreneurship class is that it's completely different. It's not just, hey, read this and we're going to do this paper. It's very much so, well, you solve the problem. Like, you, you create it. You tell us. We'll give you the tools and resources. But in that mind change that they can take, even if they're not going to be an entrepreneur, they can take that into their job and say, I'm going to take on a new project. Uh, what I've learned here in this course isn't just, here, do this, learn it. It's, you got, I don't, what, what the, I don't know, financial model? You figure that out, right? right? We'll give you the tools and resources. <laughs> We've never sold that. You do it, this right? Is, can you tell why I like working with Ruben yeah, and yeah, teaching with Ruben? I'm also thinking to myself, a lot of this is really about coaching people through the relationship aspect of what they're doing. In other words, yeah, I can get that. I can, certainly all of that is really important. But at the end of the day, they're also getting coached on how to have some really difficult conversations with the people around them to yep. get done what they need to get done. Because at the end of the day, you know, like you said before, this is about... This is about the human experience, you know, yeah. and, and without that, without that capability, and uh, I could see a lot of people just getting frustrated and not knowing, not a lot, let alone who to talk to, and how to have that conversation, and how to be intentional in that conversation to solve a problem and get something done. Yeah, yeah that execution part, Edgar, I think yeah. that is a really, um, 
you know, and you bring up this kind of coaching to get to execution and, you know, how do you empower? One of the things I'm coming back to, uh, Ruben, is this kind of community piece. So um, tell me, because I actually don't know the answer to this one. I should. Glamping Hub, obviously a for-profit company. AGA? Uh, nonprofit. So uh, 501c3. Mm-hmm. So this is, I think, an interesting conversation in the business space is we don't often, like the models of business we hold up right. are these kind of uh, for-profit, um, traditionally uh, uh, shareholder return-based models. Yep. And, and this nonprofit model that you're talking about, about coaching and bringing community, like I, that is all the work we do, Edgar, around coaching is closer to that nonprofit Let's figure out how to solve problems better yet. If we can figure out kind of a corporate way that we all solve problems, yep. then it's easier for someone to jump on the merry-go-round with us and do it. I mean, that's just one of the things we talk about. Yeah, and you can hear just in this conversation how, how big that need is. It's really significant. Yeah, and I think that's an important point of what, you know, because when I was in college, and there's no fault of any, this is all, I think, most universities at this point in time, it was never really an option to be an entrepreneur. It was, you are going to be successful if you go work in an office, you wear the suit. That, that was the picture that was painted, right? You go work in this big building, that's how you knew you were successful. It was never really an option. And now, as I sit where I sit now, I think there's also this level of people think, great, you take on a bunch of funding, you do an IPO, that's how you become, you scale, I mean, that's your version of a successful entrepreneur. But now I think it's that, you know, anything that I would do moving forward always has this level of, What's scalable? What problem can you actually solve? Small, tight-knit, you're, you're not only adding a lot of value, but you're, you're, you're solving a problem, and it's a small organization that is more community-based that you don't have to feel like you've got to scale 500% year-over-year growth to hit these crazy multiples. So my success and how, you know, to that point, I think that was how, you know, the world kind of puts these certain entrepreneurs on a pedestal but the reality around what is really a successful entrepreneur, I would, I would paint completely different, right? Not yeah. that they are not successful, those people that have done that. Absolutely. But the model, you know, should be taught, you know, a little bit different. I think that's what's great about, you know, the innovation challenge and things that happen where you can just go out there and solve a unique problem that hasn't been solved before. And it's not great now do $10 million worth of funding <laughs> right off the bat and do 1,000% year-over-year growth. It's... It's, you know, what, what's your really, your net revenue versus your, how yeah. much money you're spending. And what's your definition of success? You know, that, that's what your comments evoke in me is just that question that shows up is uh, whether you're an entrepreneur, or whether you're a member of an organization, what are your definitions of success and how aligned are you in terms of how you go about it, getting that success and what does it say about you? Yep. And at the end of the day, who really are you? Yep. Yeah. Uh, is Edgar's Ruben shares his story with us. I'm, I'm, there's a parallel to you and your own career in business that you've built over time. Um, the two of you have some similarities in that um, kind of recognition and movement into different spaces at different times. Um, you know, Ruben, I'm so glad you said that. I'm going to do a little pitch here. So, Victor, if you're paying attention out there in the audience, this is the this is the goal to recruit uh, students to our programs on. Um, the Anderson College here in a, in a Jesuit uh, Catholic university, we're thinking about business um, more holistically, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we're teaching, uh, you know, teaching the marketing strategy class or when you teach the entrepreneurial innovation class with me, we're focused on those 
we're focused on problem solving, right? And, and we're focused on identifying, clearly, clearly identifying a problem and then figuring out who has that problem and what a solution can be for them, right? So there's a very much an other focusedness. That's a very kind of uh, Jesuit principle, mm -hmm. but it's not based on how do I churn revenue, our business school. It's based on how do I solve problems that the world actually has. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we're trying to make them bigger and bigger problems so that it's not just, um, it's not just a wild west in terms of, in terms of I start a business for every little problem gets a business to generate revenue, mm -hmm. but how do we take, tackle some of these big other problems? How do we bring people alongside of us? Um, you mentioned data, always a challenge. The work that people need most when they're starting a business or thinking about business mm -hmm. is more conversation with customers. And I know you were so good even when Glamping Hub was successful. Um, and, and, you know, kind of flying, flying fast and furious, you were still bringing users in every week mm -hmm. to ask them about their experience. And, and I remember that was a mind warp for some of our students because mm -hmm. they got to go actually watch some of those sessions with your customers. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, that realness, and I, I've shared this with you, and I think it's just worth repeating, you know, trying to build this entrepreneur, entrepreneurship specialization in the MBA so that they have experiences like you have had, Edgar, like you have had. Um, trying to build it a little bit different, and I'm, I'm still stuck with my colleagues because they ask these questions of how long is it going to take? Yeah. And the answer is it depends. Well, and that's why I think what we're doing at Arupe is huge because I, you know, we, 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 we talked earlier about the definition of, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur, you know, define as an entrepreneur, or you just you kind of have some of that skill set, you just need the tools or resources. What would happen if somebody like myself or anybody else would have had access to that at 14, right? Ask those questions, had those experiences, put in a situation where they could fail and then learn from it and been okay and build and have, you know, build a marketing plan, build a business plan, try and launch something, completely fall on their face. I mean, what great experience would that be to have to do that and have 10 years essentially to kind of fiddle with that, learn from that, instead of having to do it when you're right out of college, which ends up happening, and life happens after college. I mean, that's that's a difficult part of being an entrepreneur when you start to get a little bit older, a little bit older, is that maybe you get married, maybe you have kids, maybe you have bills, you, you know, you get all these weird questions of what are you doing, are you, you know, and, it, and it's it's real, right? It's real. You get all these weird questions that you have to come up with answers, and you know, you feel good about it, but you can't escape the world. Speaking of resilience, and, yeah, and you're you're. You oh, know, I have so much to look yeah. forward to. <laughs> Families, you know, asking these questions of, oh, so you know, what is he doing now? Oh, okay, that's interesting. Is that like a real job? You know, and because that happens all the time. So what would happen? And you know, the program at at Arupe is essentially being able to have a, a, a club where students can learn a bit more about being an entrepreneur and be put in a situation, help supported by Regis, that they can do that and figure out if this is a path for them. And even if it's not a path for, for them, that skill set to where even if they're in a more traditional work environment, they take risks, they take on more you know, uh, jobs, they, they do something that's a little bit different instead of, oh, I need to be told what to do, they can go out and, and problem solve. So I think that's a really key concept and something that you know, I'm glad we're taking a look at it, and, and, but you know, I think other programs are hopefully taking a look at that. What would happen if, if people could just get that exposure at a younger and younger and younger age, even at the end of it, because I mean, this is what happened, I imagine still happens in some of the classes. They do the project, the innovation and entrepreneurship, they build the business, 
And then at the end, they go, nope, not for me. Right. Like, I, <laughs> exactly. I cannot do that. Which is what it's supposed to do. Right. right. I, learned, I learned some stuff, but I cannot. I'm so glad I didn't quit my job and, and you know, go out and do that. And I think there's a you know, benefit to that as well. Yeah. Hey, uh, Ruben, I just want to say uh, thank you for joining us today on the Anytime. True Alignment Podcast. Um, Victor, any questions? All right. Um, we're always open for questions. Info at truealignment.com. Yes. Yep. And share your thoughts, your comments, your questions, anything at all with us. And uh, you, you reach out to us and we'll, of course, be, uh, we'll reciprocate and be in contact with you as well. And uh, so we're going to sign off here. I'm okay. Edgar Papke. Thank you guys for having me, Ruben Martinez. I uh, really appreciate the, the no, conversation. Thanks so much, Ruben, for joining us today. Thank you, Ruben. Thank you guys. Have a good day, everybody. See you next time around on True Alignment. What's up, guys?